Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's up, everyone? Welcome to a brand new interview series on Collider. This is Collider Forces. A lot of you out there are very familiar with Collider Ladies Night. What you might not be familiar with is that I inherited that title, and that title has always felt mighty limiting to me. And it's something that has bothered me quite a bit, and it's something that I've wanted to change, but... Wanting to change something and then actually taking the action to make that change happen is completely different. And I have to credit my very first Collider Forces guest with inspiring me to take action, make that change, and make this show a reality. Liv Houston. Hello. I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm so happy this oh, is I'm happening. I'm to be here. Oh, I was telling you to. I'll let, I'll let everyone know the dirty secrets Please here. Please tell them. So we spoke at the Yellow Jackets premiere mm-hmm. where I had a belly full of Prosecco. Same. A little drunk drunk. Yeah. We had a conversation. That conversation led to me sitting in an Uber at like 2 o'clock in the morning where I typed out on my phone a whole big proposal, mm-hmm. fired off that proposal in the middle of the night, and the fine folks that I work with approved it by midday the next day, and here we are, Collider Forces. I love that. I, I, I remember talking to you about it. But I was I hoping you wouldn't remember talking to me about it. I did, it. but I didn't. I, I, I want everyone to know. I didn't hear the bit about that being the domino until getting here today. That's fantastic. I mean it. I mean it. The only thing we need to do, you're going to get introduced to the Dice Tower soon. Amazing. This is my handiwork here. It's great. It's beautiful. So the reason why we don't have a new Dice Tower yet is, like, I can't decide if I want to switch the game for the show. Okay. Or come up with a new, like, this is supposed to look like Jurassic Park. Okay. So maybe I should commission a new Dice Tower. What that, would you do? Like, what would a Yellow Jackets Dice Tower look like a big tree, like a big tree <gasps> with skulls all over it. Yeah. Covered in symbols and you blood. Know? Like now, now ideas are going through my head. I kind of want to do that. But 
First, you need to play your round of okay. dicey questions. This is where every single interview on this show is going to start. Mm -hmm. There's a die here. I've got eight random questions here. And the first three questions you roll are where we start with this interview. Okay. So, do the honors. Do I roll it on the tower? You Down here. Down here. Okay. Looks like we're starting with a four. Okay. Oh, that's one of my favorite ones right off the top here. So, this one is zombie apocalypse. Okay. You are on the set of Yellow Jackets. Yes. There is a zombie outbreak. Mm -hmm. You have to pick two co-stars to team up with. Who do you choose that'll give you the best chance of surviving? Jasmine and Steven. Okay, why? Um, Jasmine and I work together very well and communicate together very well, and she's incredibly pragmatic and very smart and very determined. And, um... Steven, Steven always has the hookup somewhere. It's like he knows what restaurant to go to. Like he always like lives in the nicest place. He like will be going somewhere and he'll know what the thing to do there is. Okay. It's sort of like a down low schema in the best way. So I think those two would be perfect. I've never heard anyone give that as a reasoning, but it's such a smart approach. Yeah, it means that your lo like logistical muscles are working all one, the time. One of my favorite ones I've heard recently is Samantha picked Courtney because she's tall and she could help her reach the high things. Incredible. Incredible. That's, you know, but Sam's height, she would be thinking about that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. I get mm -hmm. it. All right, roll number two. Okay. All right, I'll do a good job. How about that? Seven? Mm -hmm. All right. Oh, this is an easy one. you got a softball. This one's wrap gift. Okay. What is the best wrap gift you've ever received or given? Oh, you know what? Actually, it was it was Yellow Jacket season one. Ella got me a packet of corn nuts. Corn nuts? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I like that. Yeah, because there's a scene in season one um, where after the plane crash, I'm eating corn nuts and she tries to make me stop. Okay. And then I say, you want to save the corn nuts because she left me in the plane. That stress, I'll, I'll get to it. That mm -hmm. scene still stresses me out when I rewatch it. <laughs> One more roll in the tower. Okay. I don't even know what I hope you're going to roll right now. I don't know what I Six. did. Six. Okay. Six. All right. I like this one, too. This is survival skills. So, okay. like, you as in real you, you're in a Yellow Jackets type situation. The plane goes down. You're stranded in the wilderness. Right. I want your greatest asset, the thing that you bring to the team that will help everyone survive. But then I also want your greatest weakness, the thing that's going to do everyone in. Yeah. Okay. So I, I know a lot of useless facts Pretty much in any given situation. My brain's a bit of a sponge. I read a lot. I would I would know a lot of, like, seemingly useless information about, like, the kind of trees that grow somewhere. Or, like... Um, oh, that's not useless, though. Well, not, not when the plane crashes. <laughs> then it's actually handy if I can, like, identify what direction we're facing and what the season is likely to be doing. So I feel like my capacity for hoarding trivia would come in handy. I like that. I like that. But now now your greatest weakness. <laughs> the thing that's going to screw everyone else over. Oh, man. Um, what would my fatal flaw actually be? Uh, I don't think I'm very good at asking for help. Oh, that's like a serious one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think in my heart of hearts, I always kind of knew that like in, in a zombie apocalypse kind of situation, like the, the sort of cardinal sin of, like, getting bitten and then not telling anybody. I was always oh. like, I I just probably would end up doing that. <laughs> it's like I've always sort of understood whenever a person does that. 
Every once in a while, when I do big group ensemble interviews, we play a zombie apocalypse game where I give everybody like superlatives, and yeah. they have to tell me which cast member best suit, like the first one to die. But one yeah. of one of them yeah. is always who is going to be bit, and but then not tell anybody. I know, I know, I know, and I know it's bad. I know it's. I'm really actively trying to get better about it, and, and I am. But oh, I'm impressed really by how it. deep you went with that because I always think Thank of like you. the stupid shit, like I'm gonna run out of contact solution, and then I won't be able to see and I can't help everyone. Yeah. Or- oh, I'm allergic to bees. Ooh. So if a bee stings me, I, I am fucked, and then so are we oh, all. You have a real reason to be. I'm afraid of bees, but I'm not allergic. I'm just a baby. It doesn't, I don't think about it ever until I'm out, like, hiking somewhere or, like, a little bit removed from civilization, and then I suddenly realize how scary it is. It's like the second a hospital is further away than half an hour, then I'm like, oh, it, yeah. is, it is bad to be oh. allergic to bees. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. I like. I try to think about that when I'm acting like a child near a bee, but it doesn't, just hang it out. doesn't stop me. doesn't stop me. All right. The first question for mm-hmm. all Collider Forces interviews will yes. be this. What is the movie, the show, personal experience you had, you name it, that first made you say to yourself, I absolutely have to be an actor and nothing else? Oh, fuck. What actually was it? I think I think what I'd normally say in response to this is that I was in a school play when I was nine and um, and it was a school play about it was like a compilation of a bunch of Greek myths mashed together and it was a musical it was very sweet um, then that like sounds the, like a really the cool through line play. was Pandora's box opening and then it was like different like horrors coming out of Pandora's box spawning off into like different Greek myths um, I played Perseus uh, who is the guy who kills Medusa with a reflective shield and I it's like I got to draw a mustache on myself um and I was like it's gonna be this forever like that's, <laughs> I, that's, it's gonna be this forever I've decided and I never changed my mind after that I'm just really impressed by how cool that school play sounds compared to the the garbage that we were told to do it was pretty good <laughs> it was pretty good I appreciate that all right so you make that decision mm-hmm. When it comes to taking the first step towards becoming a working actor, right. when you wanted to do it, what did you think was step one? But then ultimately, is that step something you would recommend to a newer actor who wants to break into the business, or did you discover more, something that's maybe more effective along the way? Well, first of all, I would never recommend anything to anybody because I because I don't think like none of it's a guarantee at all, and there's no one way in, and it's like there's I I never can recommend anything to anyone because it, it's like. There's no promises ever. Um, so I, I trained with a theater company as a teenager in my hometown f- for a few years, and that's sort of where I learned how to, like, do it. Um, but then in terms of turning it into a job, the the step was, like, taking a bun- bunch of workshops that were with casting directors, sort of, like, learning about the businessy side of things. And then I was on one of those that was in L.A., and that was my first time visiting. And then, like truly like the showcase at the end of that workshop the woman who is now my manager was there and like that's how we met but I can't recommend that to anybody <laughs> well, because that's insane that that's why I love doing these interviews yeah. and, and certain questions I'll repeat every single interview because it just emphasizes that every path is different yeah. and every path is okay it's whatever works best for you 100% oh my I have so many follow-up questions to that first so you said that those workshops taught you the the business side of things as well, which yeah. is very very unusual can you share maybe one fact that you learned really early on that you know you wish was information that was more readily available to up-and-coming actors? That's a good question. Um, I just think you can't hold on too tightly to any idea of how something's going to be. Like, um, it, it, it's a mistake to cling 
to the idea of something needing to happen a certain way because um, you'll lock yourself up. Like it, on, on the smallest level, even in a performance standpoint, where it's like I, I have to be doing this this way in order to be doing a good job, you won't discover anything and you won't surprise yourself. And then on a macro level, it's like unless my career is happening in X way, it's not happening at all and I've failed, then um, you're nothing's going to surprise you and you're not going to be uh, good at it because you're not going to be relaxed enough to be open to anything. Um so I, I I really encourage the people I encourage people to get as zen as possible as quickly as possible, mm-hmm. which, which is that like nothing is guaranteed to you at all. That is fine, and um, do everything you can anyway, but like let go as much as possible. My brain is exploding <laughs> with follow up questions that I don't want to forget. I want to continue down that thread though. Yeah. From the performance perspective, can you give us one example, whether it's yellow jackets or something else you did where you had boxed yourself into a certain idea and someone mm-hmm. gave you a note or suggestion and it made you realize, oh my, there's this whole other path I could pursue with this beat? I don't know that I have a specific example. Um, but I, I just think the times where I feel myself enjoying the work the most or the times where I feel myself engaged in it or doing the best is when I actually don't think about what it would mean for me to be doing something a certain way at all. Oh, no, I do have a specific example. Okay, so <laughs> my uh, a mentor of mine who is the artistic director of the theatre company I trained at, she always said that um, when you're acting with people, when you're acting together, um, it is everybody's job to make everybody else look as good as possible. And then if everybody's doing that, it's going to be great. Because, like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you've got going on. It, it, this, is a, this is a collaborative thing. And if, if you're looking after me and I'm looking after you, we're going to be okay. That's such a good example. That's such a good example of something that literally every single person in this business, no matter what your role is on a production, should know. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Oh, I want to go, I'm, I'm shocked right now that I remembered this question. You brought up your manager a little uh-huh. early on, and we never really talk about the actor-manager no, or it's agent. Really. It's, <laughs> it's so important, though, because mm-hmm. when you find the right person yeah. and they're supporting your hopes and dreams in a way that doesn't make it feel like a business relationship, but rather, like, doing what you can to help someone pursue their deepest passion. It can be completely different. So what did you see in this person at the time when you first met that signaled to you, this is someone Mm. who's going to support me every step of the way and get me the things that speak to me the most? Yeah, that's a good question. And it is funny that, like, you bring up that, like, we don't talk about it very much because I feel like it does feel like something you're not supposed to say. (laughs) And it's like everybody forgets that, like, actors have representatives until they literally win awards and mention them. It's like, oh, yeah, right, you do. And you talk to them constantly. Um, okay, yes. So uh, it was like a shared creative sensibility um, and somebody who like not only understood the things that I wanted to do but cared about those things as well. And like um, there was like a, a genuine, warm sort of personal connection too. That was really useful. That matters to me. Um, yeah, just the feeling that, like, oh, this this is somebody who's, like, on the same page about, like, what I want to do professionally and why I want to do it. 
It's so important. Yeah. It's like, especially, like, it's a good thing you had this person early on in your career, yes. too, because I always think, I mean, even it doesn't matter what profession you're in, you probably run into this type of thing. When you're just starting in a new career, it could feel like you need to say yes to absolutely every totally. opportunity that yeah. comes your way. And that's not necessarily the case. But if you don't have the guidance and someone giving you the confidence to say no, yeah. you could say yes to too much. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, um, it's okay to it, – it, not only is it okay, it's actually uh, very important to not um, say yes to something just because it's the first thing that happened. I will continue down that path now yeah. and ask you for an example of a time where you either had to say no to something for mm -hmm. yourself or maybe because it's what you believed was best for the project overall. I mean, sure. There's, like, the basic examples of, like, of like being presented with – with an audition for something and going like, uh, no, no, thank you. Sorry. Uh, no, thanks. I don't want to do that. Um, and I, when I, when I decide not to do something, it's usually because I don't think it's the right fit, but the things that make it the wrong fit are that, um, I, I think it's going to be bad <laughs> or, um, I don't trust the people making it or, um, I, don't trust that the execution will do justice to what the idea is or or I get a bad vibe. I don't know. And I, I try not to, um, like, flex the no too often, I suppose, but I think it's important to listen to. Like, if I, if I read something and go, mm, then that's important. Like, that's I think that's enough of a reason to be like, hey, so I'm not um, responding to the material. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. It's important to have that understanding of, of everything. And also, I just love the emphasis on, you know, trusting the people you work with and yeah. trusting their abilities and their material. I'm a big believer that... I don't know, it should always feel like a family. It's like making shows and movies, like, yes, it's a business, but you're yeah. putting a lot of yourself and your time into a project like that. And mm -hmm. if you don't see the voices around you matching what you want them to be in that sense, yeah. it's probably a sign you shouldn't commit. Yeah, it was just like, well, why do you want to do this in the first place? You know, like, what what are the reasons for doing the work that you want to do? Like, it's like, do you want to just make a bunch of money? Or, like, do you want to um, spend most of your year in a particular city? Or... Um, like, what actually is it about, you know, and identifying what the, there's, and there's no wrong answer to that. No, you know? not at all. If it's just like, no, I just want to live in one place nine months out of the year and like make as much money as possible. Like, okay, great. There are so many ways to do that. And that reason can change yeah. too. So I'll ask you, has, has your reason evolved day one compared to now at all? No, I think it's pretty um, consistent where it's like, I just, I, I want to, uh, I just want to be a part of as many things as possible. Like I, I want, I want a variety of experience, and I want to offer a variety of things. Um, I want to explore as much as I can. I want to travel as much as I can. Um, I want to like meet and connect with other people who like also care about this stuff as much as I can. And I, I, I want to be a part of exciting work being made, not just for my own benefit, but for the benefit of everybody. Um, and the benefit of everybody seeing it, where it's like, well, I, I want, I, it's always been very important to me to, if possible, be a part of something collective that then encourages more shit from everyone. I love that mentality so much. It's yeah, it's like so. Ensemble stuff ha has always been my favorite, um, and 
I'm just very greedy, I think. I want to do everything. <laughs> I mean, you've gotten pretty lucky in the ensemble department. Yes, I in, know. A, in a number of senses. I want I want to ask one question about Santa Clarita Diet. Please. But more broadly, all of your earliest projects before Yellow Jackets and also Santa Clarita Diet. Mm-hmm. Of all of those sets, which one would you credit with putting into perspective the most what you would want out of the stories that you would tell and also the onset environments you would get to work in? Mm. Oh, um, I was in uh, a show in Australia called Homecoming Queens, um, and I loved it. I loved it. It was like um, the people making it were amazing, and the set environment was great, and I cared about the characters a lot, and I thought it was like funny and moving and smart, and I'm just really proud of it. I want to watch it. <laughs> it's great. I, sometimes when someone tells me it's an Australian show, or any show from mm-hmm. any part of the world for that matter... All the streaming services make it very difficult to oh, access that content. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the streaming services are too smart for my VPN now. I don't. Yeah. Well, I mean, am I not supposed to say that? <laughs> <laughs> they are. It's actually a real problem. Uh, I feel like a lot of people run into that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, not to bring up a bummer of an experience, but I did want to ask about the cancellation of Santa yeah. Clarita Diet. Mm-hmm. In particular, what it felt like from your perspective and also what it taught you about, you know, the business side of things and what it means to be part of a show but to not be in control of that element of it. Sure. I mean, to be honest, like, I was obviously like, oh, man, okay. But I also, even at the time, I just strongly felt like, wow, what an amazing three years that was. Like, what what a wonderful experience to have had and, like, aren't we lucky that that happened at all? You know, that's such a good way to look at it. And there's just never any guarantees. Like, like in this this industry, there's definitely never any guarantees. And working on working in television, where like you don't have a concrete guarantee of something being finished when you start, um, it it's just like always a possibility in the back of my mind. I suppose. Like, I I'm the kind of person where for me, it's like, well, nothing's nothing's happening until it's actually happening. For starters, like. Historically, if I'm auditioning for something, I don't tell anybody. <laughs> I don't tell anybody about it. And then sometimes even when I'm, like, testing for something or, like, in negotiation for signing for it, I'm like, this is not happening This because nothing's happening until I'm actually there. And then sometimes my brain really goes crazy and it's like, well, nothing's actually happening until the job is out in the world. Oh, no. You know, and people have seen it and then it's actually happening. So it, when Santa Clarita Diet was cancelled, it was like, oh, what a shame. But also we got to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we got to do that and people liked it. And isn't, isn't that amazing? I never utter the name of someone I'm about to interview until it's in the can because I think I'm going to jinx it. <laughs> That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, are you a Scream fan? Because, like, now you got to work with Jasmine and I Drew know. Barrymore. I know. And Tim. Tim's in one of them, oh, too. God, so yeah. I haven't seen all of them. I can't I believe seen... I just forgot about Mickey. Oh, poor Mickey. <gasps> I haven't seen all of them. I've, I think I've actually only seen the first two. <gasps> I know material to explore, and part of me, like especially because like Jasmine's in the new ones, and Mason, who I also know, um, I, it, part of me is like I'm just saving them. <laughs> I'm just saving them for a rainy day, which is typical of me. Actually, it's like if I know I'm gonna like something, I sometimes take ages to watch it. This is such an LA comment, but like, there's been so many rainy days. There has lately, Come hasn't on. there? <laughs> All right. Maybe that's on me. It but is, I like Scream. It's well worth a binge. Mm-hmm. They're all so good. And Jazz, I still can't get over how good the movies Jasmine is in are because it's very unusual when you have a long-running franchise like that for the newest installments to yeah. be at the top of many people's ranked lists. Yeah, and I love that. The quality is just through the roof. All yeah. right. Oh, that's awesome. I think we have hit 
Yellow Jackets. I don't know. I want to ask this question. I wrote down a quote from you that I read in another interview. Um, I think it's something recent. You had said, it is of paramount importance to me not only to live my life openly for the sake of my own well-being, but to do it in a way that reaches people like me who might be grappling with the same thing. And I have a couple of follow-up questions okay. to that because I thought it was a beautiful quote. Thank you. Um, Follow-up questions that particularly pertain to this industry and how you operate within it. Do you remember the very first time on set that you could feel the power that your own voice could have, where you were able to speak up, spark change, and now that's something that you could do going forward and maybe even on a bigger scale? Yeah. I. It's funny. I don't know that this actually answers your question so much, but, I, but uh, what it makes me think of is the... The sort of shift that started to happen after I came out professionally um, as non-binary uh, was like was was getting gendered correctly at work for the first time um, because my my expectation had been that that was never going to happen um, and not only was that never going to happen but like it wasn't even worth thinking about like it wasn't like not not worth thinking about to the point of like ridiculous where it's like don't don't even bother engaging with whether or not you want that because it's not happening to you so don't worry about it um so the sort of like f- uh psychological adjustment and like full body adjustment really of like of hearing people in a professional setting um refer to me correctly uh it's not something i did but but that was a really incredibly powerful foundation shift um, because I realized that it was going to be okay. <laughs> that, like, I um, not only did I not have to uh, hide, um, but that it was going to be good. You know, like, oh, it's, it, not only is it going to be fine, it's actually going to be better than you've ever let yourself imagine in your life. Um, so that that was quite powerful. That's a beautiful answer. Some of that also made me think of the the quotes you recently gave when you were talking about the Emmy situation, yeah. because like I, I read those quotes and it's it's something that I've said where I want to do away with gendered categories but then I'll catch myself like well then it's just gonna be all white men but Mm -hmm. that's exactly what you just like I have resigned myself to the fact that that's how it's gonna go if this change happens and that's that's what's one of the many things at least that's creating that roadblock and that shouldn't be the case I know and it's sad right because it's like well what's buried underneath that is a real like fear that um equality is uh not achievable um and I, I really just don't believe that's true um like the work of achieving parity is like that's an active ongoing process and to do away with gendered acting categories it's like well that's that's the beginning of that you know it's not the end and then also like with that specific example it's like well having one category split by gender and none of the others doesn't fix that yeah at all yeah (laughs) you know it's just it's funny it's like what we were talking about before we started rolling Mm -hmm. like there's other award shows that set the example it's fine it's fine you just got to do it you just got to do it but um or not but i won't be there you know i i'm glad that you spoke up the way you did because that is the type of action that winds up sparking change and hopefully making that change happen at some point in the near future thank you stress near future i hope so 
I will believe your quotes and what you said just now make me say believe instead of <laughs> I hope so or worrying that it's not going to go the way that I want and that oh, we hope. Yeah. If, I mean that. I mean that. Yeah, I love that. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. All right, Yellow Jackets, Mm -hmm. full force now. I want to start with your audition, because I was reading that you originally auditioned for Shauna. I did. Just because I'm curious now, how does what you thought Shauna was going to be compare to what Sophie wound up delivering in the final product? Oh, man. Okay, so a few things. (laughs) So a a bunch of us auditioned for each other's parts. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I think is like fairly common when you're trying to put an ensemble of people together. It's like, oh, maybe you'd be good for this. Oh, hang on, try, hang, wait, where, and who fits where, and what does that look like? And then also sometimes I wonder if I was auditioning for Van the whole time, and but, because Van doesn't have very many lines in the pilot. So later I was like, was I ever auditioning for Sean? <laughs> so I, who's to say? But I, when I went in, I read um, Shauna's scenes, uh, and. I, I don't know if I've ever thought about it since, <laughs> to be honest. I just, the feelings that I had auditioning were, I'm like, I fucking love the script for this pilot. I really hope the pilot gets made, and then I really hope the show gets picked up, and then if I'm not in it, I'm going to watch it. Like, that's that's so strongly how I felt, and I'm a massive fan of Karen's. It's when I got yes. the audition email, when I got the email to audition for Yellow Jackets, I took a screenshot of it. I have it on my phone. I replied to the email with, Karen Cassell! <laughs> just in all capital letters. It's the first thing I ever got excited about. Um, so I was excited about, like, the show. And then I remember thinking um, that it was a bit of a long shot because I didn't think I looked right. Um, just in terms of, like, matching people together. Uh, and then, like, like... Sophie's Shauna. You know, it's just so well, yeah. it's just so obvious to me now that like that like Sophie's Shauna and I'm Van and Sam's Misty and Sophie Sophie Thatcher's Natalie. It's like everybody ended up exactly where they were supposed to be. But it's funny to think about now the sort of like musical chairs we did of auditioning for each other's roles. There's a couple of us went in for like two or three different characters, I think. And then and then a couple of us only went in for the ones that we got in the end. It's funny. It is. It's wild to consider. But yeah. whatever that process is, it works because this is one of those very special shows where every everyone is just so perfect. Everyone's mm-hmm. everyone's so perfect, and I just can't believe how perfect the casting of Lauren is now. I know. There there is a cut between the two of you in episode eight where like the way you're positioned, the way the camera's moving, the way the lighting is hitting, it's just and the music, the music cue that kicks in, it's just so perfect. Oh, that's cool. Perfect. I jumped ahead. I'm jumping back. Mm-hmm. So 
you get the role of Van. Yes. Do you remember the very first thing you did with that role that signaled to you, like, this is right, this is my role, it feels perfect? Well, so I I had gone in for Shauna once, and then I, like, a couple of weeks later, I got a phone call, and they were like, they want to offer you the role of Van instead. And I went, great, who's Van? <laughs> and then I went back and I read the pilot again, and I was like, oh, I know who Van is. Um, and it, it's funny, I don't actually, I don't know why I knew who she was so quickly, but I just did. Um, and then I spent the pilot looking for as many opportunities to have as much fun as possible. Um, and then that's what I did for the rest of season one, pretty much, certainly the first half. I, um, I, I like improvising a lot, and I, uh, I just felt that, like, in a show about a team like this, um, the central thing would be how these people interact. So in my mind... Anytime we were in group scenes together, I was like, well, it's like when you have siblings, right? Or like when you are in a big group of friends. Like everybody's constantly bouncing off each other somehow, no matter what. Everybody's always doing something. So it was just fun. I felt like a kid in a sandbox where I was like, okay, so how does Van feel about Natalie? I don't know. I'm going to spend some time thinking about that. Doesn't matter if they ever use it, but I'll oh. think about it. Oh, I have questions that maybe you can answer then. Sure. These don't have to be canon, obviously, mm-hmm. but when I get obsessed with characters, I think about every ounce of their backstory, whether we right. see that on screen or not. So mm-hmm. the first thing I had written down here was was Van's home life. So we get a quick glimpse of the situation with, uh, with her mother, and I have not forgotten the thing you said uh, about oh, yeah. uh, her mother's drinking and then Ty's sleepwalking at the junket. But anyway, I'm going down another another path right now. What do you think Van misses about home the most? Nothing. I mean, like th- hmm. that house? I don't think she misses anything about okay. that house. Um, I I don't think I don't think Van talks about her home life with, with anybody. I know that like in the present day, like, Thaisa as an adult says to Van, as an adult, like, I know you and your mother had a complicated relationship, but I don't think that when they're teenagers, anyone knows about it. Um, So it's like, what does Van miss about home? Well, I probably misses, like, physical safety or, like, like having having enough food or, like... um, Having a life. Yeah, having the possibility of having a life. Like, um... That was something that I thought about a lot in getting ready to do the monologue that Van has in season one right before the wolf attack. Where she's like, I I want to go back to New York City, please. Like, I, I want to go back and I want to go back with you. I think what Van, actually, I think what Van misses the most about home is like the possibility of something else happening. Where it's like, I can't ever get out of New Jersey and do anything with my life if we're dying here. You know, that like it's everything's a closed door. So it's not that Van wants to go back to where she was. It's that Van wants to go back to the possibility of anything else happening. Have you ever thought about where Van would have gone in life had the plane never gone down? I suspect that she was based on nothing, by the way, based on nothing. (laughs) I suspect this, but I suspect that she was probably leaning on soccer for a scholarship to go to school. I believe that. Um, and I think she probably would have tried to go to school in New York. Um, and and I think it's probably the kind of thing where she was like, just get me out of this fucking town. Get me out of this town tomorrow and then I'll figure it out. Um, and, and I think she 
um, I mean, she's a film nerd. Like we know that she's like she's like a storytelling buff and like is funny and and I th- I just I think she it's like just like get her out get get her, get her out of there. <laughs> NYU sounds like a great option. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, get this kid <laughs> She could NYU. probably walk onto that soccer team. Please. I'm sure that soccer team is great, but... Yeah. What do you think her favorite movie is? What do you think that version of Van would say her favorite movie is? I'm curious to see how it compares to what Lauren told me. Did Lauren say Bound? <laughs> she did say Bound. <laughs> it's, I think... I, I, I think Bound came out while, while they were in the wilderness. So I think that's her favorite movie when she gets back. I think... I think her favorite movie is A League of Their Own. Answer. And I think she likes Thelma and Louise as oh, well. Saw, oh, big uh, Gina Davis fan. I respect this. Yeah. I respect this very much. Yeah. She's like she's a gay high schooler in the 90s. She's, she's going to like Gina Davis. <laughs> Here's another theory, backstory thing I have been thinking about. Mm-hmm. Have you have you and Jasmine, I guess, ever talked about the time when they first realized they had a connection and wanted to pursue a relationship? And, and maybe also the conversations they've had about when to share that relationship with the people in their lives. Yeah, we did talk about that. We talked about that a little bit. Um, and, and it's funny. It's like um, we've never sort of settled on on anything as to, like, what the sort of backstory of their relationship is or, like, um, the nitty-gritty specifics of it. But um, it's like where we've landed is, like, well, before the plane crash, they were hooking up. I don't think they were together. Um, and I and I think that I think that they were hooking up and not talking about it. Oh, <laughs> I think it's one of those okay. things where um, where they were like seeing each other and then privately being like, "This is nice." What? It's, ah, don't worry about it. It's fine. And then probably not saying anything. Um, but I even before we knew that Van and Taisa were going to be a couple in the show, like when we were filming the pilot, I was always like, Van really likes Taisa. Like Van thinks Taisa is really cool. So it's like no matter what, that was always. Um, buried in there for me playing her Um, and then sometimes on my own I'm like well what I think happened (laughs) is that Van realized that Taisa liked girls as well and then started teasing her on purpose and then they probably kissed in the locker room and then never spoke about it Um, but no but I usually keep a lid on that I get it. I, th- I think, given what I've seen of their dynamic, I, I would believe that might be where it started. Well, that's what I think. But I, it's like I get, I feel myself becoming like a real like actor nerd about it. And sometimes I'm like, okay, fucking chill out. That's the fun of this. It's not just with like the supernatural theories mm. of it all, but it's it's also like a lot of people out there get really invested in the characters as people and the second that happens you find yourself trying to fill in all the cracks of everything that happened before after in between like I do have one question that's an in-between moment and something we see in the show but it cuts away from I'm gonna jump ahead if I do that too soon though Mm -hmm. so I'm getting I'm getting into like the deeper episodes of the season now so don't worry this uh video will not be released until episode eight is available yes because actually I I was gonna ask you that (laughs) because it's like the one little snippet we do get is like the health class flashback at the beginning of six and I loved that loved doing (laughs) that that that's also by the way the condom thing she does with her hand i have done that <laughs> i did i did that as a, uh, like about when i was her age and that was frankly chilling um is that a choice you made in the moment and it wasn't scripted no it was scripted oh. but that's why it was so chilling where i was like i did this <laughs> what do you mean like, it's crazy um but like i think about little bits and pieces like that all the time um and i it's like that the fun of this show is that like at any point 
like a flashback could happen or be written and anything that I say or think could be completely null and void. I think about that with every si- like I've done a million interviews yeah. for this show and every single time I come up with a question I'm like that like this could change. And yes. you know what it it should change. Like the conversation I had with the showrunners and the way that they were talking about like either seeds that were planted in season 1 that did or maybe did not pay off in season 2 and yeah. how they were a- like including not killing you off, how they were able to adapt mm-hmm. and make the show better because of their willingness to adapt. Yeah, and that's I, exciting. It's a good thing. It's but a I very also, good thing. I also love in the meantime being like, well, how do I think Van and Taisa got together? Like, well, <laughs> since you asked, actually, here is Prequel what I Prequel series. <laughs> yeah. I would watch that. All right, I'm jumping to episode seven. Mm-hmm. There's a line that I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. I just think it's time we woke up. Oh. That is a very, very loaded line of dialogue. Oh, so yeah. what was it like delivering that? And this, this kind of ties into the idea of you all not really knowing what's going on and what could happen in the future. But is that the type of line where you have to do multiple takes of it, different deliveries? Or did you have a a specific purpose that you were going after there? I did. I did. Because for me, that, that, that scene is about a real gear shift that's happened because the baby died. Where it's like up, up until then... With particularly with like the ritual stuff that Lottie has had the team doing that Van has really been clinging to, it's this thing of like, well, but it works because I did survive the wolf attack and like, like you you were wearing my dear necklace in the tree and you were totally fine and I had my face ripped open and like it's just that you know, she's right because like you were sleepwalking and now you're not anymore so it's it. It's this real clinging that Van's been doing to the idea that, like, hope is possible out here. And, like, if we can't escape, if help isn't coming, then we can survive if we just lean into this thing, even if we don't understand it. But And then the baby dies. And it's like, what am I fucking doing? <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, like, we... Winter's going on still. We don't have anything more to eat. And... And the baby died, and like nothing that, and it was horrible. And like, Sean is still here, but like, by what margin and for how long? You know, it's just, I do think it's time we all woke up. Like, it's a, it's a real, um, it's not like a giving up necessarily, but it's a, it's a shift in the things that she believes and, um, how much hope she's got. How does that shift impact what happens, I believe, later in that episode when Van just stands by and watches as Shauna nearly beats Lottie to death? So, so glad you asked about that because that, I, that through this episode, it's like where Van ends up at the end of season one happens in seven. Because it starts with, like, the, the, like the baby dies. There's that scene with Taisa where it's like, I, we... We all, like, it's time we all woke up. He was always going to die. I don't know why I'm here. I I don't know what I need. I don't know how to fix this. End of the episode. um, Shauna almost beats Lottie to death. And then in playing that scene, watching that happen, I sort of physically realized I was like, oh, this is when Van accepts that they're going to start killing and eating each other. Because it's like, oh, it's going to be violence. Like what? There's a, there's a real deepening point of no return thing that happens there, which is like, oh, it's violence. We've chosen violence. There is no way out but violence, and and we are, we are going to start killing and eating each other on purpose, 100. percent That is exactly what's going to happen. And she um, sinks into that then. 
my heart was just like <laughs> crumbling as you were giving that out because I feel like I forget who utters it. I think it's someone in the the present day, but I, I think it's um it's where it's intercutting towards the end of that episode where it's like you know they don't know about the the cancer at that point, but that van has has lost something. I'm gonna die. Yeah. It, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my yeah. god, just like, breaks. Yeah, you. Yes, I know exactly breaks what you're talking heart. about. It's like you, it's, it's, it's I, I don't remember who says it either, but it's like uh, you had a light. It's Lottie. Yeah, Lottie. She's she's. Telling everybody what's been wrong with with them. Yeah. Oh, the intercutting in that episode is so good. Yeah. And Lauren and I have both thought about and talked about that a little bit too. The idea that like that there's a light that gets turned way down (sighs) for Van. By the time she's an adult, it's like, oh, it's there, but it's dimmed a lot. And so then for me, playing her in the wilderness, I'm like, okay, so my job then is to track that dying, like like that light turning down. It's like what dims it, what kills it. And then for her, for Van, who's so funny and so, like, fierce and so protective and just, like, so, like, eager um, and so familiar with crisis, like, so familiar with, like, the stakes being high and, and needing to look after other people and, like, so familiar with chaos, it's just over season two, I was like, okay, my job with her becomes... Um, figuring out what the parts of you are that die, like what parts of you cannot survive um, an environment like this. It's like when, how long can you be funny? How long can you cling to this idea that you've been clinging to? Like what, what eventually falls away? What do you lose? What gets dimmed down and when? And so that episode is a really good example because it's the loss of the baby and it's... Um, the ritual beating, where it's like, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen to us now, and there's nothing we can do about it. Oh, it's so brutal. Yeah. Mike, I thought, like, after episode six, I'm like, it can't it can't shatter my heart any worse than this. Can, I mean, that's still, like, a peak episode there, but yeah. it just gets darker and darker. Have and you seen the full thing? No, they, they've they ha- I don't get episode uh, nine until May 15th. Okay, I'm really glad I asked because I was about to say something. But... <laughs> I have not seen the end end. You'll, okay. you'll know exactly where I got cut off. So okay. now now for, for episode eight, the uh, the playing card idea. So this this is actually the moment that we, we cut away from and we don't see. Do you think Van came up with that idea in order to determine who has to go? I kind of do. Because, well, I mean... I forget I that's an episode I haven't seen the finished version of but it's like like we we don't get to decide the wilderness decides cut away right um so she's thought about it you know she's she's thought about it a lot and she's it's like she's not listening to what any of them have to say because she doesn't care because she's she knows what they have to do she's like no I like you're all behaving like children like like this is so beyond any decision we make it is obvious what's going to happen now so she's thought about it and she's presenting it to the group as inevitable because to her it feels inevitable because in like this larger psychological sense it is so given that the chore cards are something that they have all been doing for that long i i i do i do think it was her idea Oh god! Because when you when you cut back to her and she's holding them up, it's yeah. it's not like oh, what should I do now? She's like, no, this is yeah, this she's is the what ringleader. The rules are. Yeah. With, with that mentality, though, what if Ty had taken the queen card? Do you still think she would have been as eager to see it through? No. Do you think she would have stopped it? I don't know. I don't know. 
I, I really have no idea what would have happened. I don't think, and I don't think Van knows either. Like, and in in the playing out of that scene, um, like that's Taisa shows her and nobody else, um, and that's on purpose. And it, it was just like, just relief, really. It's like, oh, good, I don't actually have to think about that because I don't think she's ready to. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> stresses me out. <laughs> yeah, stresses me out to no end. The answer to this question might be a no, but because they hide so many clues, I am curious now. Does the card that Van does draw have any meaning? Okay. I don't know, but I will <laughs> tell you, the cards that we pulled were written down in the script. And, like, we asked on the day, we were like, does, we were like do we have to decide what order the cards? And they were like, no, no, no. Like, like, they made sure that they were in order so that every time each character drew the same one. So what do you think Van's card means? I don't know. <laughs> like, I've got no idea. I, be- I believe she draws the Joker. And, I, I, like, I feel like that might represent what you've been discussing for the past couple of minutes. The, like, the, the, dimming, the dimming of yeah, that light and that kind of being, you know... Yeah. I mean, maybe not the end of it for all time, but the end of it in that yeah, moment for a her. Real, like, there's a real corruption of the beautiful things about her, I think. Like, her, her like, determination and her um, passion for storytelling and, like, her care for other people. And it's fats fascinating what happens by the end of this season. It's so interesting. Oh, I'm so curious. I yeah. can't wait. And then I'm going to abuse my screeners and then the Showtime app is going to say you can't watch this Because <laughs> you can, you can, you can told, watch them like what? Five I told times? Jasmine, I, th- I think you're allowed, I didn't even realize this, I think you're allowed to watch them five or six times and I've, I usually re-watch and look for particular characters yeah, when I prepare for mm-hmm. interviews and when I prepared for her interview, all of a sudden I got like, you have exceeded the maximum, <gasps> you know, views for these these episodes. I'm like, shit. Brutal. <laughs> Just a little brutal. All right, I'm going to end with one more Yellow Jackets theory question and then a positive question because we got into dark territory here. <laughs> we did, sorry. At the end of episode eight, mm-hmm. so we know Javi is gone and, and Van was kind of the ringleader in terms of seeing all that she through. Was. Who at that point do you think Van trusts the most? I have to imagine it comes down to either Ty or Lottie, if, if not someone else. Oh, that's fascinating. Because I don't think trust is the right word. Um, I don't know that she does trust Taisa very much. Uh, and then by that point in the season, I don't think she trusts Lottie very much either. Oof. Yeah. Oh, that's curious. <laughs> that's curious. <laughs> like, trust is so specific, and that's really interesting. Because um, I, don't, I don't think trust is something that Van, like, allows herself very often. Where it's like it's one thing to like love somebody or to um, to lean on them or to care for them or to look out for them or like you know, but to to trust someone, I think that um, that is a very like loaded thing for her to feel for somebody. So happy I had one positive question in my back pocket to end this on. God, isn't that terrible? Oh, I, I mean, I mean, it is, but it's it, like it speaks to why the show is so damn good yeah. because it doesn't shy away from exploring those kinds of complexities in in a scenario that can be considered, you know, surface level and high concept and fun to watch, even yeah. though it's dark. Like this is the version of that that I like to 
like live with and sit with and think about. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Amazing. All right, my last question for you. Big, broad question. It could be yellow jackets or anything else you've done. It's, mm-hmm. it's very, very overly sentimental, but it's my new favorite question to end on. So in this industry, we give out two awards to other people, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody says good job to themselves nearly enough, though. Yeah. So whether it's yellow jackets or anything you've done, can you give me an example of a scene that now you can look back on and say to yourself, damn, I'm proud of what I did there? I'm pretty good at watching myself, generally. I, I think, think that's the first time I've ever heard that. I think there are like there are definitely times where it's like, oh, I'd rather be dead than looking at this. <laughs> um, but those times are the exception rather than the rule for me. But I, it's part of it is that like um, particularly with screen stuff, like like filmmaking is inherently very collaborative. So when I'm looking at something that's finished, I'm not just looking at what I did. I'm looking at what, like a couple of hundred people did, and that is. Um, a celebratory thing for me. That's so, such a beautiful way to look at that. So yeah, so like watching something finished is is like, oh, we did it. Isn't that cool? Um, and then I enjoy my job so much that I I do enjoy looking at it when it's done um, because it's satisfying. Uh, so I don't know that I necessarily have like a standout, but I do feel that like in general, when I look at something I've done when it's finished, it's it's not just about me, um, but I am also able to appreciate uh, what I did at the time because I really cared about doing it and I really enjoyed doing it. That's a good answer. <laughs> cool. I, mean, I wish uh, it's like, you know, it's shocking and a little upsetting that many have a hard time picking that moment. But I like that way of looking at it, too. Cool. And Thank I you. I don't know, just respecting the fact that these productions don't come down to just a small handful of people. But there's so many people that good contribute to making that. this happen. Yeah. You yeah. know what you contributed to mm-hmm. making happen? Collider forces. <laughs> I, Thank I love you. that. I'm going to take that you. all the way to the back. I am very, very happy we have this show. I have you to thank for it. Huge congratulations on everything you accomplish, everything you will accomplish in the future. The door is always open. Collider forces is here for you anytime. Thank you. Oh, my God. Amazing. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.